right. So this, this guy and this girl have been in a relationship for a few years, and they've been having a hard time. And the girl comes home and says to the guy, I'm leaving. And he says, I'm coming with you. <laughs> That's sort of like selfie. <laughs> you want to leave self and it comes with you. <laughs> so most of us are in recovery, yes? Yeah. And we, you know what the root of the problem is, as, it, as they put it out in the big book, yes? Extreme, you know, self-centeredness, obsession with self. Yeah? All right. So my take on it is a little different. I think, um, I think it's identification as a self. And what I mean by that is there's a feeling that you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Yes? And the obsession with self is what reinforces that identification every day. So let's say I'm out, you know, I paint houses sometimes when I'm not doing this, and uh, you, they say you have 70,000 thoughts a day going through your head. Maybe you're aware of about four or 5,000 of them. But 70,000 thoughts a day. So let's say if I walked in this room, for me to do my job, it maybe takes about 14 thoughts. Yeah? You know? I'm never surprised. There's usually four walls, a ceiling, you know, some doors and some trim. And, uh, you know, maybe I have to think about where I'm going to go eat and stuff like that. But what are the 69,984 other thoughts doing? <laughs> yeah? What are they doing? If everything is so economical in nature, why would 69,890-something thoughts be wasted all day? And then if you look at your thought system, and I'm talking about the thoughts that you're hearing in your head, if you just look at it somewhat objectively and see where the value of that system is, is it in this moment or is it in the past and the future? Mm -hmm. Are most of your thoughts uh, concerned about the past and, and or the future? Uh, or are they very, very rooted into right now? The funny thing is, the only place the thoughts can happen are right now, but they're very rarely about right now. They're usually about the past and the future. And what happens if you're obsessed with those thoughts about the f past and the future, you can think about something that's not happening, yet it will produce an effect in you right now, which is an amazing event, if you look at it. For something that's not actually happening to have an effect, that's an amazing event. So let's say I'm worrying about next week, two weeks from now. Is it happening? No. Yeah, can I see it, hear it, feel it, taste it, touch it? No. The only thing that can happen is it can be thoughts about it. Yeah? The mind can think about it. And what does the mind picture three weeks from now? It pictures you, doesn't it, somewhere in those three weeks from now? And how does it picture you? When the, when the thought system thinks about you, how are you thought about as a body? Yeah. If I go back, if I'm going to go back five years and think about myself, I can't go back five years and think about myself as a spirit. Yeah. What am I going to say? You know, my spirit was spiriting five years ago. It's spiriting now, and it's going to be spiriting three years from now. Yeah, I can't. How can I gauge how good its spirit is? Yeah, but the thing is, the thought system pictures you as a body. Let's say a month or two ago, and because it's you, your mind takes it to be you, and it's very interested in that you. Then the thoughts sort of have the ability to go back there surround that body, surround you in a circumstance, and because of your, the interest you have in it, 
it will produce an effect in you right now. Yeah? So let's say you're at this meeting, but are you at this meeting? Or are you reacting to yesterday and all concerns about a, a week from now? Yeah? Are you actually here? Or are you here reacting to a year ago or reacting to three weeks from now? Because sometimes you'll be in a situation and there's no threat in that situation and yet you're incredibly anxious. What's producing the threat? There's no threat. You're not seeing it. You're not hearing it. You're not feeling it. You're not tasting it. But there's thoughts about something. Yeah? And in what's not happening, anything can happen. <laughs> you can have cancer. You can be destitute. Your girlfriend could be sleeping with your best friend. Your boyfriend could be eloping with your, you know, your sister. All these possibilities seem really possible in what's not happening. They're not possible right now because you're not seeing it, are you? You're not feeling it. You're not tasting it. You're not touching it. But in that mental realm, they seem possible. And so when your mind is preoccupied about what's going to happen to you, yeah, it produces an effect in this experience now. So you can be you can be in the most beautiful setting and be incredibly contract contracted. Yeah, thinking, 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 thinking about what's not happening. So in this thing it says, okay, if self can't get out of self, if I go and try to study self for two years, that could be construed as obsession with self. Yeah. yeah. So I, and every time I'm trying to get out of self, it could actually be seen as a form of being in self. Yeah. And every, every little doorway that says this, it says, this, it says exit, it's actually just another entrance into selfing. Yeah. <laughs> How many maps to the, to the escape route have you bought in your life? And where do you end up? <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so if it is identification as self, then it makes sense when they said you're the problem. You're not, we're not people who have a problem. We are the problem. Yeah? And in the beginning, in one of the forwards of the big books, it has an incredible statement. It says, we are a hundred men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Now, where I'm from, a lot of people share that statement, but they drop one important word. They say, we have recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. There would be no recovery from a hopeless state of mind and body. If it was truly hopeless, there would be no solution. And then the logic of your insane mind had some value, because why not get fucking high? You know, really, but it says seemingly, and if you look in the def, def, you know, the dictionary, the definition for seemingly is that it appears to be true or false to you. So you have a huge role in your experience here, yeah. Because in a sense, what's happening all day, every day, is you and I are dispensing meaning to things. Our mind is giving meaning to everything we come in contact with. And if the mind is structured or framed by self-centeredness, we're giving everything a self-centered meaning. So all we see everything as is how it pertains to you. Yeah? Example, I remember when I was 11 years old, I was walking through the hallway at school, and a pretty girl said hello to me. 
And I went, went, I went home and wondered what she meant by it for about five hours. <laughs> sat in my little room, and I tried to go over, what could this possibly mean, her saying hello to me? Every possible scenario, but all, per, all defined by self-centeredness. I couldn't see how it pertained to anyone else other than me. This is the root of our disease. This is what produced the uncomfortability, the dis-ease, and the restlessness. That's what it is. That's alcoholism. Yes? And you know what? My solution to alcoholism was alcohol. When I drank and I got loaded, I got relief from alcoholism. And so in the book, it says, the first step, we're powerless over alcohol, and our lives have become unmanageable. Now, the way I heard it when I came in, it sounded like the unmanageability was caused by my drinking. Yeah? And I figured if I stopped drinking, then everything would get better. Yeah? I had a lot of rude awakenings around that because the things I was attributing to my cocaine use were popping up after I hadn't done coke in one year, two years, five years, seven years of sobriety. Yes? So the point is, I, much, I like the statement a lot more in the how it works at the end of the how it works part where it says, we have to be convinced, to, and that means to believe with certainty, these three pertinent ideas and our experiences before and after, meaning before and after sobriety, will verify it. And the first one is we're alcoholics and we cannot manage our own lives. Now that sounds totally different than, you know, my drinking caused my unmanageability. It was my alcoholism that's the root of the unmanageability. And I had that way before I started to drink. And my how it manifests is managing. By my wanting to play God all day, that managing is what makes my life unmanageable. We're not managerial quality, mm. yes? <laughs> really. And the evidence is there, like tenfold. So when you start getting the clarity of the problem, and the way, best way is when you start really feeling the relief from the solution. You get to see what the problem is. And my experience is it isn't me. See? It has a very clear statement in the book, very, very clear in the fourth step area. It says, being convinced, again, they like to use that word convinced. It says, being convinced that self, <coughs> yeah, self manifested in various ways. So you're going to see it just like it says, you know, fear will produce a hundred forms of itself, da, 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 self, you know, all this shit. Well, self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. It, he's separating the two. Us, meaning us, aren't self. Yeah? So self, manifested in various ways, is what has defeated all of us. If we're convinced of that, right, we are now going to look at some of, the, some of the common manifestations of how it defeated us. Yeah? Something like that. And the next paragraph is, resentment is the number one offender. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it through this way of seeing it, self, one of self's expressions are resentments. Yeah? In other words, once alcoholism has your mental system, has it hijacked, it's infecting the way you think and how you perceive, you're going to see threats when there aren't any threats. Mm -hmm. Yes? You're not going to be responding appropriately to what's going on because you're not seeing what's going on. You're seeing an interpretation of what's going on from a very, very sick perspective, an extreme, extreme obsession or identification with self. Yeah? 
So it says, being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us, and if that's so for us, we will now look at some of its common, common manifestations to do what? Why would you want to look at the manifestations of the defeat? Because it's a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. It's only appearing to be true or false to you. When you have eyes to see, you'll see you're not that. And that's the beginning. Not of, that's the beginning of not getting therapized around it, not getting some, like having, being able to have a six month long relationship that works, you know, or not flipping out at the next picnic, but a radical freedom, not for self or as a self, but from self. Yeah. In the identification as self, then we are the problem. And this is the good news because at that same point, you're the solution. Because if you see through the identification as self, that's not the problem anymore. Yes? If I entertain, if I'm identified as self, then and it's like a parasite. You know? It's a damn fucking parasite. I've seen it. And if you've ever had some months where you haven't been on it, under it, and then it comes over you again, it's like a possession, isn't it? I've seen people, I've seen them for a few months, their light, their eyes are brightening up, their face is cleared up, and I can tell they went out the night before, all dark again, dull, and that ravenous look is on them, you know? And all the, all the ones who are taken over, they have very similar characteristics, because it's one parasite that takes all these hosts over. All of us have been hosts to the parasite of alcoholism. That's why when we come to a meeting, and in AA... Most of us were in a thick shell of terminal uniqueness. I truly believe no one thought like I did. No one has felt like I did, you know, get the violence out, you know. No one had done the heinous things I did. And then I go to AA meetings and I listen to people share. And after a few months, I could only come to two conclusions. How did these people get my thoughts or my feelings? Yeah? Or they're not my feelings. They're not my thoughts. They're being generated by the same parasite that took you over, has taken me over. That's why I identify with you. I don't identify with who you are. I identify with what's taking you over because I've lived under the same tyranny. And this is why we get together and it's the wheeze that is the solution because that's how you wake up by sharing about it with another alcoholic, and then you see the commonality, and then your mind can make a leap. Hey, I may not be that. If you're that, you're that, you're that, you're that, you're that, and I'm thinking, I'm so that, you know what I mean? <laughs> then maybe that's not that. Yeah. And what happens if I start seeing it as a foreign installment? If you can entertain the possibility you're not that, the next thing you can entertain is you can be free of it. I mean radically free of it. Like they talk about on page 84 in that area, where you'll cease fighting everyone and anything. And that will be an effect that occurs with no thought or effort on your part. You'll be placed in a position of neutrality to a point where the problem will not exist for you. And if you've lived under alcoholism and something could demonstrate that it doesn't exist for you anymore, I'd get down on my freaking knees and honor that. that could, that's a freaking miracle. And that's what it's like. It's like alcoholism was like a door I was always getting thrown in and out of. Now it's been all stuccoed over like it was never there. You'll be placed in a position of neutrality with no thought or effort on your part. In the beginning, you can't rely on thoughts or feelings, so we do a lot of action here. The action breaks the membrane of that, that possession, yes? But it's not always going to be action. It's going to be entertaining every once in a while. You've got to entertain the possibilities that are on offer here. 
And if it's true that God can do for us what we can't do for ourselves, why not expand that circle about what you can't do for yourself? If you see a principle work as one or two examples that, hey, God looks like he can do for me what I can't do for myself, pull the dump truck up and dump all my what I think I can do for myself in there. Why? Why would I say, oh, I throw my alcoholism there, but not, not my girl getting or this or that. Yeah? All of it. All of it. When you fall upon a principle, it overrides circumstances and situations. It doesn't, ha- it doesn't change day-to-day a principle. It's reliable. It's not based on feelings. So then you look at the fear. It says in the book, you know, we made decisions based on it, meaning fear, and it set off trains of circumstances that bring us misfortune, bring us misfortune, that we feel we don't deserve. So what happens? I get pissed off, I get resentful, I get mad, and yet I still keep relying on the same decision that produced that perception. Sets off more trains of circumstances, more misfortune, more getting angry and pissed off. It's like the perfect skeletal diagram of everyone's descent into the bottom. Every person who has alcoholism was seeing life from self and was making decisions based on there, and it was setting off tons of trains of circumstances that bring us misfortune. And when you have misfortune, you feel you don't deserve it. You're probably going to, if you get caught in that loop, you're going to want to get out. And it's going to give you a damn good suggestion how to get out. Let's get high. You know? It'll take you to a point sooner or later to fuck it. And as soon as you agree, fuck it, it's going to give you a solution to the situation. Let's get high. Let's get loaded. doesn't matter one year, five years, ten years, twenty years. Yeah? It's a powerful parasite. It doesn't respect any other power except something greater than itself. Yeah? You can't have a mental defense again it's because it's in the mental realm. Yeah? You can't seek a solution from where the problem resides. It's not going to work. Yes? So when you do the inventory, what do you see? You see how self-defeated you. And then you start entertaining. How does it have so much ability to defeat me? It must be sitting on a very high level in my life. Yeah, it's taken itself to be you. <laughs> Every time it walks into a situation in your life, you just say, hi. Hi, me. And fucks this up, fucks that up. And then you're all so worried about what's going to happen to you. The heist has already occurred. <laughs> It's just using you for transportation. And then when the shit hits the fan, it's conveniently not there, and you take the rap. You're the one that's in jail. It's just waiting for you to get out to tell you what, what, you motherfucker, how stupid are you to go to jail? You know what I mean? Jesus Christ, I got ran over by a car. It was nowhere to be found. After a couple of weeks coming out of a coma, it came back and started, you know, criticizing and blaming me. But you're the one who drove me out that night fucking to get the drink. And then I got run over by the car. And a real alcoholic, I got run over twice. <laughs> I got hit by the car. The guy didn't know what he hit. He backed up over me. <laughs> Only an alcoholic, I swear to God. Freezing night in Long Island, January 30th. 
Sunday night, I think, I go to a bar, there's two people there, the waitress and the bartender. He gives me, he gives me a quaalude, and I have a couple of shots of Gravenier. I leave, and then, you know, I get home, and I start feeling irritable, restless, and discontent, and my mind runs this big advertising. Like I'm missing something, like, like a big party broke out, you know, cold <laughs> in Long Island on Sunday night, freezing cold. I got in the car expecting to go to a bar, but I had a meeting with a Monte Carlo. I got run over by a Chevy Monte Carlo. <laughs> and after, when pe- my friends came that back, I said, well, what happened that night? There's, there was only still two people in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> one of the gifts of AA. It says, when you sincerely take, the first it says, if you sincerely take this position of reliance on something greater than self, yeah, all these remarkable things will happen. You'll have a new employer. And it says, if you perform his works well and you stay close to him, if, if, that, is, if that power is what I believe it is, then it's everywhere, so you can't be far from it. All you need to do is some service. Because the service is like priming that pump to get out of oneself so you can sense what it feels like not to be up the ass of self, yeah? So that you can recognize it and honor it when it's available so that it starts staying in your life, yeah? And then the transfer from, you know, that failed system to a better way occurs. You leave a failed system and you move to a a system of trusting something that's infinite, yeah? It says it so beautifully in the book, right at the fear inventory. It says, why are you in so much fear tonight? Why are you, why am, why am I, why are you in so much fear today? And if he would have let us answer, the book would have been about 3,000 pages, you know. <laughs> but he says, period, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? Yeah? So every fear, if you follow it back to the root, it always goes back to a reliance on self. Yeah? And then, if that's the truth, if self-reliance failed you, not just that one Monday, but every Monday, every Tuesday, every relationship, every this, every that, you've got to come to the conclusion it's a failed system. Yeah? It's a dead horse. You're not going to resuscitate it. It's finished. Get up. Yeah? So it says, all right... This is why all the fear is there. What would happen? It says perhaps there's that better way. If you could trust something infinite rather than your finite self. It doesn't say it's your finite self. The your, your is a very nice word because it symbolizes that there's a sense of ownership or a claiming or an identification with it. Yeah? Your finite self. It's not the finite self. If you saw it as the finite self, you'd be free of it. When you see it as your finite self, you're enslaved by it. When the identification is in place, every thought, which most of them are basically alcoholics in our heads, every one of those thoughts is not seen as an alcoholic thought, it's seen as my thought. M-Y. Yeah? And if you want to see the difference between a thought and a my thought, look at the word money, look at the word health, look at the word sex. Yeah? It has a hit on you. If you don't have any money, it may mean a little more than someone who has money right now in this room. But let's add some weight to it instantaneously. My money. (laughs) My health. My sex. Incredibly different, yeah? Thought. You know, just a thought comes and goes. 
alcoholic thought, okay, seems to have a little more heaviness. Why? Because it has a lot of my. My thought is claimed. It's not allowed to let go. It comes into an orbit and it circulates around you fucking all day. Yeah? It's like living in a room of flies. They want to get out, but all the windows are closed. It's not the flies. You're the gravitational pull. It's the my. It's the identification of self, which is keeping those thoughts seeming so illuminated. You'd lose interest if you realize the thought system. Let's say someone that you know is flipping out about what's not happening. I hate when they come over. I do. Because <laughs> then they start talking about, you know, what are you going to do about what's not happening? What can you do? You know? I'd rather do my laundry in five minutes. Hey, let's take a walk. Oh, no, I want to talk about what's not happening. Right. You're bored stiff, like in a minute. But the same stuff is going on in your head, the same exact thoughts. But in see, when you see them as their thoughts, you have immunity. When you see them as your thoughts, you have no immunity. Yeah? You can have someone totally flipping out, totally flipping out about what's not happening. Yeah? And sitting right next to you, and it doesn't leap on you. Yeah? It's not contagious. You know, you can basically be totally oblivious because it's actually not happening. Yeah? But to them, it seems... It seems to be happening. It's appearing to be true or false to them. How does it appear to be true so much? Identification. Yes? If you're having trouble with thoughts, then look at the first one. I'm the thinker of them. If you can let, if you could just see, am I the thinker of these thoughts? If, the, if you could just entertain the possibility, allow a pause to occur for some, some space to get in between you and that then you would start getting downloads about they're not your thoughts and you'd lose interest in them. And after a while, you wouldn't be navigated by your thoughts. They'd be helping you to do jobs and doing this and doing that, but they wouldn't be doing your psychological you know, sketches all day. They wouldn't be talking about how bad you are. You would have an immunity to it. It would be like K-Paul was down, the volume. You'd hear it, but you wouldn't listen to it. And that's the freedom from the bondage of self. The bondage of self is a daily activity. It's not like something happened 20 years ago and you were like branded as bonded to self. It's an activity day in and day out, yes? The thought system is constantly implying or inferring or assuming or pointing that you're the doer, you're the haver, you're the feeler, you're the thinker, yeah? It's constantly assuming a role it actually doesn't have. It's usurped. You know in AA they talk about conscious contact, yeah? I have a different idea of conscious contact, in a way. Conscious, in, right now, there's spirit or awareness that's enlivening our senses. Yeah? Let's say right now you're seeing, and let's say you passed away. That eye would not be seeing again. But you could take that eye out of your head and put it in a live body, and it would facilitate seeing. Yeah? It's not the eye that sees. Something that's enlivening us gives like life to the machinery and then consciousness or spirit experiences this place through five senses. Seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. And the sixth sense, you hear thoughts. Yes? Now, if you look at what happened when you were a kid and you weren't in an abusive situation, 
consciousness was flowing through a lot of those gates. You were seeing a lot. Remember, feeling everything. You'd like. I was just with my friend's kids, and she had food that was meant to be eaten, but she was just going like this, swishing it around and like this, and really getting into it, you know, smelling it. And the kids always want to put everything in their mouths, yes, and this and that. As we grow older, when the self gets developed, it all gets sucked up to here. So you're like those dogs that have manes, they put those little plastic cones on them. All your conscious, all your conscious of most of the day is up here. When have the last time you felt something? You know? When do you notice sounds? When do you let something capture your vision, like a flower or something, instead of being on that treadmill of moving to the next moment, looking for what you didn't find in this moment? If you didn't find in this moment, it's not in the next moment. <laughs> It's a slavery. And alcoholism is just an extreme, extreme subdivision of self-centeredness. Everyone is formatted with that, that point of view. But we're an extreme example of it. Yeah? The original addiction to me is the mind, the conditional mind, the conditional mind's addiction to the idea of being a self. And because it can never be that, that desire is thwarted, so it needs relief from that thwarted desire. So it shoots dope, it fucking after the dope, it's pornography, or whatever it may be, shopping, or da-da-da-da-da. The mind's constantly leaking because it's unsatisfied. It's not happy. It's not content. It does not have the ability at this moment to entertain peace and no serenity. Yeah? It's not, don't worry, it's not. That's a sound, see? <laughs> Conscious contact. Conscious contact. Now, your head will say, I didn't want to hear that sound. But which came first? Your opinion, I don't want to hear the sound, or the sound? The sound. Consciousness is what's living here. The idea of you is a mental interpretation after the fact. Yes? We're missing square one, and we're starting our life on square three. At one point in our life, we were at square one when we were kids. And in square one, there was a lot more wonder and awe than more, that at square three. You know? Square one was like, you know, when you, you have a little kid and you hide behind a corner and you jump out and you go, ah! And the kid goes, ah! You can do it 20 times. It does it every time. Yeah? Or you go to the beach with a Labrador. You throw that ball. That's why they, that guy made so much money with those little stick things. Because you, you know, your arm will fall off before the Labrador stops having fun. It's just so it's like, it's, it's, it's tail going just as strong as the first time you threw it. But now when you're adult, something happens. Oh, I've seen that before. You know what I mean? We've entered such a fucking state of boredom. We're like doled out to such an extreme. I got to do a shot of coke in my throat, my neck, to feel like I'm alive. You know what I mean? <laughs> Seriously. That's an extreme solution to an imaginary problem. It is. It's a very extreme solution, solution to an imaginary problem. And it brought a lot of consequences. You know, and then, all right, then I'm enslaved by this, and then I get enslaved out here by the penal fucking system. <laughs> the probations and urinalysis and fucking having to go to court every month for something that I don't even remember happening. <laughs> you become beholden to these mistakes like you're, like you're fucking chained to a stake. Yeah. This doesn't just bond you here, it bonds you everywhere. Cripples your body. 
destroys your organs inside. This parasite is a hostile parasite. It had to have an incredible strategy to convince the host to allow it to stay there. If a big bug flew in this room right now, what would you immediately do? Just knock it off, yeah? There'd be no thought about it. If it happened 20 times, you'd still knock it off. Like this, like this. This parasite, AA, alcoholism is such a host. Everyone who's been taken over knows it. It's not a benign, benevolent parasite. Yeah? When it takes you over... It is so fucking hostile. How, what kind of, how could it convince the host to allow the host to stay inert to let this parasite suck it dry? It's convinced us we're the parasite. It has ideas of us that we take to be us. Yeah? And it plays it like a fucking violin. And it riffs on it. And riffs on it. And riffs on it. And will bring you to the point of fuck it. And when you get to the point of fuck it, that's how that's like the that's what that's what surrendered is called in alcoholism. Fuck it, that's what it is. Yeah, it's like the reverse take on surrender is fuck it. Instead of surrendering, you're surrendering this way. <laughs> fuck it. So there is a solution. Yeah. From the solutions point of view. It's truly a seeming problem. It's unfucking believable. Its power comes through you believing in it. If that if belief is extracted, it starts withering. It starts losing its effect to the point where the problem will not exist for you anymore. How could it have been so if it can be seen as never existing? It had to be based on your condition, yes? If your condition is good, like they say, if you have in a fit uh, spiritual condition, you'll have a daily reprieve from that parasite every day, day in and day out, as long as the spiritual condition is fit. Yeah. Now, what would happen if you realize you are a spiritual condition? That would be, to me, the highest form of maintenance of a spiritual condition is to be one, because you'll be it all day. You won't have to go out to spiritual workouts. You can meditate and do this to improve your conscious contact, but don't believe you're not consciousness. You are the demonstration of conscious contact all day. How is consciousness having an experience here? Through your fingers, through the eyes, through the mouth, through the ears. Yeah. I had the experience. My Uncle Fred, I really loved him because he used to give me money at the relative parties behind his back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> come, Paul, come over here. Slip me a two bucks, you know, which was like a lot of money, you know. So then uh, he passed away when I was nine years old. And my mother, we, t we went to the funeral and it was an open wake. And my mother said, let's go up and say goodbye to Uncle Fred, which I wasn't that excited about. But he, I went up there. And when I looked in, I had a huge hit. That ain't Uncle Fred. I saw the body that I was thinking was Uncle Fred. And I was probably making that mistake because I thought this was Paul. So I was just projecting what I thought this was onto him. But without that spirit, I had a very strong hit. That ain't Uncle Fred. Yeah. I was missing Uncle Fred the whole time. Yeah. That's what AA does. You can't... This is a, you, that's why it says there's no mental defense against the first drink. Because that's where the problem is, is in the mentality. You have to find an aspect of mind that hasn't been co-opted by that mental condition that mental process called selfing. 
and they've seen it. You know, when you're a baby, when a baby is born, there's no sense of self to about 18 months. Yeah. So we have we have the evidence in our life in our own lives. But the funny thing is, the sense of self, they, some of the research says, coincides with the language sense of firing. Yeah. Because the language, the thoughts wrapped in the sound of our language, is what is the transmitter. Because every time you talk, you talk about you're the doer, you're the haver, you're the seer, you're the hearer, you're the feeler, you're the taster. It sounds funny, but let's say if I said, hey, i got to stop the meeting for a while. I forgot, i got to go home and digest this burrito I had earlier, you know? <laughs> and I, oh, and then when I'm, I had it, oh, there's a pizza I missed on Wednesday, so I'm sorry, I'll see you. Right. And everyone go, ha, 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 ha. But then we're, we're claiming to be the doer of a much subtler brain, mind, body, uh, process, which is thinking. We're actually believing we're the thinker, aren't we? It sounds funny. Are we pumping our own blood? Are we beating the heart? Some power that was great in us knew better to give us too much power. Yeah? It made most shit involuntary. It gave, made one little lapse of judgment. It opened this Pandora box, the thought system. <laughs> and this crazy idea rose, hey, I'm the thinker. <laughs> and then how much guilt and shame did you have when you were two years old? How much guilt and shame was your behavior generating in you? I can't get out of it. This <laughs> How much guilt and shame was being generated by your behavior then? None. Because you didn't see yourself as the doer. The sense of doership arises with the sense of self, and then all guilt and shame finds a branch to rest on. And then everyone believes they're totally into AA, but you read the first step. If you were powerless over alcohol, then that means when you drank and used, you had no say in the matter. Why then is there so much guilt and shame for all that behavior? Because that same system of selfing overrides all the evidence in our own lives. We know we were taken over, yet we still claim its behavior is ours. Yeah? We still claim the parasite's behavior is ours. That's how strong the identification is. It's much stronger than an obsession. It can entertain tons of obsessions. It's it's like a, a it's a, like an obsession on steroids. It's gone so past an obsession, you don't even know it's going on all day. You're identified as it. You have a fucking not even a clue what's going on all day. You're wondering why all these thoughts keep buzzing around something that doesn't matter anymore. Because you know why? Sense of self isn't happening now. There is no sense of self. You, in a sense, are in a state in one level, just like the baby was. But we had have we a mental process has, has process has arisen in us. We grew into it. Yeah, that's the only difference. And what the self senses in a way, the sense of self, it's not actually happening now. Just like when we were a baby. So what occurs is the thought system pictures you as a body. Yeah, thinks about last <coughs> week. When it's thinking about you last week, it remembers you as a self now. Yeah. When it's worrying about you in the future, it's remembering <coughs> you as a self now. Self has to be remembered. That's why in St. Francis, when he says to forget you, it's in self-forgetting that you're reborn and stuff like that because the only existence self has in us is remembering. We didn't have a memory yet when we were a baby. Therefore, self couldn't be remembered. Yeah? 
The memory really is the biggest stage of it all. So you go back in time and you think about you and the you you think about is pictured as a body that re represents the self, independent, independent separate, long-lasting entity, a thing, yes? The thoughts keep going around you all day thinking, oh, what happened to me five years ago? And all that's happening is you're remembering self now. So every time you're doing that, you're feeling like Paul. You're feeling like the doer. You're feeling like the thinker. You're feeling like the feeler. You're feeling all this stuff. And it remembers us just the same way with the future worries. You don't think remembering is not just about the past. It's remembering self is in the future. What would happen if you had an immunity to the past and the future? If you really saw that it wasn't happening? Yeah? What more would you need to do about the past if you saw that it wasn't happening? And how long would it take to not do that? <laughs> it, would be, it would be a timeless solution. It would just be seeing that it wasn't so. What more do I need to do? Yeah? So if I have an immunity to that and that, what happens is the self isn't remembered. Yeah. And that's the freedom from the bondage of self. And it can stabilize. Yeah. It can stabilize. What helps you is the anchor of being consciously in contact here. You've got five freaking gates of awareness or consciousness being engaged here through seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching. It should be enough to anchor us from that mental winds that go in the past and the future. If you would just have a sense of what it's like to be here, you'd have an immunity to there and then. That's why they call it the presence, you know. It's not the pastance or the futurance. It's the presence. That's the only place you can meet. What's actually going on is right now. Yeah. And AA helps us. I don't believe AA produces a spiritual condition. I think it diminishes a mental condition. This incredible preoccupation with this mental idea or your image. When I came in AA, they told me, hey, bro, you've got to be willing to say, you know, to, uh, you know, save your ass instead of your face. And it sounded good, but I thought my, my face was my ass. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I thought the image I had of me was me. And I was dying. My ass was freaking in a bad sling. I spent two years and three months in programs. I'd been run over twice, fucking abscesses, overdoses. And yet I thought I was looking pretty cool. <laughs> I thought I had it going on. <laughs> so I had to have a spiritual anatomy class, you know. They had to point out to me what was my face, my ass, and keep reminding me. Yeah. But for me, the 12 steps and this whole thing we do here, because look at what we do. This is a manipulated pause, you know. You can, cut, you can be anywhere in the world and your mind could get on this train of self-will and it could be derailed by going to a meeting for an hour. I guarantee, how many times has it happened? You were getting a whole big head of steam, you went into the meeting and you came out totally different. And what did you do? You had your ass in a chair. That's all. You just sat there, you paid attention because there's a loving God expressing itself through our group conscience like Tradition 2 says. This is the loving God. When we meet, it magnifies. What may not be obvious, obvious to us individually, you'll feel it as a collection. Yeah? A collective right now. 
This is the grace of AA, and there's tons of grace in AA. Tons of grace. How many transformations have you seen in your own life? I've seen unbelievable stuff in AA. You know, people who look like shit, and in a few weeks they started looking better, you know? And things started getting better. And what the possibilities are so unbelievably available, and especially it's available at all times, you know? Right now, with no requirements necessary to meet it, you just have to have the ability to entertain the possibility. Yeah? And to me, my process was, you know, it says, you know, turn your willing life over to the care of a higher power of your own understanding. But it's got to a point where now I've turned my life, my will, my life over to the care of a power of its own understanding. I don't want to frame it with my understanding. I would make it very, very small. I want to have its understanding revealed to me. Yeah by being in a state of I don't know. And then it downloads into my life through others and through this my experiences and this. And I'm just astonished, you know, the power of that, the power of transformation. But if I attempt it, if I, you know, there's a, to me that's that unspoken step of the program is quit playing God, yeah? <laughs> to me that's the most important unspoken, that's the most important statement in the whole book, really, to me. And... I find that it has a huge importance because if you look at the steps linearly, you get to the third step, and that's the profound concept of surrender. But it says, first, quit playing God. Then, next, in this drama of life, we do the third step. So, in, in a sense, the, first, the, the quit playing God is necessary because what happens if that isn't seen, then what will be playing God in the surrender is the self, and it will play this game. I surrendered. I take it back. Surrender. Take it back. Surrender. Take it back. Yes. It's sort of like giving a little kid a, a bag of you know candy, and you're the bully, and he oh, you hold it for me. And then hey, give me that, and take it. Which is the bigger God, you or that kid? Selfing's playing the bigger God with God. Yeah. There's a point where it becomes a surrendered. You become convinced of the situation you're in, basically screwed. Yes? You've seen that something can lift that. And then there's a sober decision to turn your willing life over that thing. And it leads to many levels of convincing when it's not surrender, it's surrendered. It's a done deal now. You're clear, you're sober, it's finished. I'm not managerial quality. Yes? I don't need any more research done. And so what happens is it allows a larger foundation so a big life can be built. And all the benefit that will come to you will be used to benefit others. That's the beauty of this program. You know? It's a perfect symbiotic situation. I need to carry the message. You need to hear the message. I need to hear the message. You need to carry the message. That's what's happening all day, everywhere. Yeah. One day I need to hear it. You need to carry it. Next day I need to carry it. And you need to hear it. It's perfect symbiotic. On and on and on and on and on and on. You have it by giving it away. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. I've been sober now 25 years, and it's like brighter than ever. Yeah. The sense of presence is like overwhelming. You can see it. You can almost see it now. You can feel it in the room. It's palpable. Yeah. Before, I can't even remember what it was like. Thank God. But I know I would if I got loaded tonight. Mm -hmm. you know, as soon as I introduce, if, I, if you 
abstinence is such a beautiful thing because to me alcohol is like a big dog that used to have the run of your life in your house you know you had to clean up after it walk it all the time feed it it bit people it bit you you know and then finally thank god it's asleep and now you got the run of the house you're crazy to you know put a little bone on a string and try to tease it and see because if it wakes up you'll be put in the same position that you were in before yeah it has no respect for time you know what I mean like a guy I know in the city in San Francisco says it takes it took him 19 years to get to where he is he could lose it in one minute yeah one minute if he drank he'd be right back where he was and worse and it would be true I've seen it over and over again my fairy princess my first fairy princess in AA she uh, <coughs> I got sober my first year with her and uh, so she had 22 years and then she started drinking she didn't tell anybody for a while thinking you know she could get away with it but the, the dog woke up yeah got unruly and you know and then she couldn't get sober and at this time her life had been very successful she went to this real high end rehab in Utah got out got loaded again she's been going in and out now for two years and the thing that she's lost the most is that access that sense of that power she, that she became too familiar with you know it was so always there she thought it was always going to be there which it is but she's not now she's caught in that mental wind tunnel of there and then she can't locate herself here where the, that's where the only where that power is there's no higher power in the past or the future it doesn't exist in that higher power realm that's a mental mental structure a mind made up time the higher power is not of time. You're not going to meet it next week. It's here, right now. This is where you always meet it. And no matter whatever you think is going to, whenever if you're waiting for it, whenever you arrive there, it'll be here anyway. Yeah. That's one thing that never changes. It's always here. Yeah. Whenever you get there, it's here, isn't it? After a while, you get there so many times, you realize it's always been here. That's the good news. So you'll stop putting it off, because if you start looking for it, you'll miss it. If you're looking from it, you'll be in, engaged in it. Yeah? Yeah. So there is a solution. From the solution's point of view, it's really, truly, a, it's the highest level the disease can reach is appearance. It can appear to be a hopeless state of mind or body, but it isn't a hopeless state of mind or body. It can appear to be the end, but it ain't the end. It can appear to be you, but it's not you. Yeah, And that's where, you, when you see it from the solution, you see that it's imaginary. Yeah, This is how beautiful it is. When you see it from the solution, you see that it's imaginary. And you know what gets thrown out also? The solution, in a way. It's so, it's so economical, not one ounce of extra weight. It would take a little bit of uh, a pocket to carry the solution. You don't even need that because you are the solution. Just like you are, you were the problem. You are the solution. Yeah. So, any questions? I could keep going. Let's see. Uh, uh, I've been talking. I just came from Toronto. Done about Jesus, somebody talks for five days. So I'm a little fried out, but uh, that's my story. <laughs> I won't hold on to it. That's all story. Anyway. I'll get rest. Any questions?
before Paul continues on, uh, we're going to pass the basket. Please Is this me. enough time for everyone? Is that all right? Yeah. You want some more time? You feel you feel satisfied? You're getting your money's worth? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to remind everybody to keep in mind that uh, this is not like sort of a $1 collection kind of thing. We're going to be taking the collections that pay for Phil's expenses for traveling here from California and all that. So please give what you can. And I, I think we'll, you know, we'll go back and forth on this side and then come back back and forth on this side. So and We're going to have another one tomorrow night. Yeah. You know, we can explore it. <laughs> I don't know. We can do something Saturday in the afternoon or uh, late afternoon, maybe. Yeah, something like that. You want to do that? And this just in: uh, we didn't have it scheduled, but Paul's going to be back here not only tomorrow at seven o'clock, but also Saturday from four to five thirty. So we'll meet here again on Saturday as well as tomorrow. <laughs> And, you know, we have a website, yeah, zenbitchslap.com. You know what happened is a few years ago we had a website, and then uh, sort of my, I lost my anonymity, so I'm like, I can't get it back. So we did a, we did a, I did a video with a, a production company on the 12 Steps called Reflections of the 12 Steps. I think it's pretty good, about five hours of a, of a riff on it. And it's uh, available on YouTube and on the website, zenbitchslap.com called Reflections on the Twelve Steps. And I've just did another one in Toronto, an hour an hour version of the Twelve Steps. Because any time you share it, it's a different riff. You, just, you, know, you get it right out of the oven. I wanted to share one thing while we're doing that about service. Yeah? Service is a very, obviously, a very important aspect, you know, the unity recovery service. Because the thing is, we're up the ass of self, yes? And in fact, you can't think or, or feel yourself out of that action is needed. So when you get at, when you do service after a period of time, and you know H and I and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I've had some of the worst days, and in ten minutes of an H and I meeting, it got totally turned around. That's the power of what happens. Yeah. So, but in my looking at it over the years, let's say I do service, and what happens when I do service, I I feel a, I feel a sense of availability. Yeah. It's like you come out of the ass of self, and you're here. Yeah. And when you're here, you feel something, and we say it's the higher power. It's unbelievable, isn't it? How they go together, here and the higher power. <laughs> so I watched this event a lot of times, because I had a lot of you know, commitments and things. And then I would see that, and you go crawl back the ass of self, and then there's this incredible need to have to do service again to have, get out of that. Yeah? And then you go, all right, you go do the service, you feel the availability, then you sense the presence. One time it happened where that occurred, and when I sensed the presence, I realized that's what I am. I'm the presence that I sense when I'm out of self. Not that, I, not that it's, I'm giving it a name of something other than me. It's actually what I am. I am that presence that I feel when I'm available, and that availability comes from when I'm out of self. So what happens if I am that presence? Then that means I'm always available, yeah, and then it turns into I am of service. You see, so here I am doing service, and I get the sense of availability, and then I, get, I feel that presence, that higher power, if you want to call it. But then I usually go back into self again, yeah. And I have to keep doing it. What would happen is like a quantum leap. You hit the presence, and if it dawns on you, hey, I may be this, yeah, and I'm not that, then that's when it stabilizes, and now you're of service. 
In other words, why? Because what is what is being of service? You're available. And what's availability? Presence. It blew my mind because, you know, people, because then what happens is if they're not, quote, quote, unquote, doing service, they don't think they're available, and then they don't sense a presence. It's another freaking ripoff from the parasite. <laughs> it will use the solution and make it a problem. I've seen it with people. When I came in, I spent two years in a program called Delancey Street in San Francisco. They didn't have AA. Lived there two years. And then before that, I was in a program in the Bronx in New York, Project Return, for three months. It went over my head then. Yep. I never knew about AA, and, and then I came in AA, and I've been sober ever since. And AA's been the solution to that situation. But now I meet a lot of people that the, the, their, their selfing has made the solution a problem. They keep going in and out. They never have a bottom anymore. As soon as it gets bad, they rush into AA for a week or two, but then they're back out again. It's unbelievable. This can take a solution and make it a problem. And I've seen it done to AA quite a lot. They don't have the bottom, and to me it's doing people a disservice to keep them from their bottom. The bottom is the greatest teacher. So here's the people come, shit's hitting the fan, they stop, and they go to AA, go to a meeting, get a commitment, and then the slightest little feeling comes over and they get loaded again. And they've been doing this for years. And to them, it's quote-unquote successful. Yeah? This is a guy I worked with. He had nine years, and then uh, he had went through co- throat cancer, and he did really good. But uh, I think a lot of people in A gave him a lot of advice, and he was tired of hearing all the shoulds he should be doing and everything. I don't know what, but he picked up some kind of attitude about AA. And then he calls me up uh, for lunch, and I, I meet him, and he says, uh, he tells me he's been drinking for a little while. And he says, hey, it's been pretty successful. Like, nothing's happened, and stuff like that. I, and I listened, let him talk for a half hour. Then I asked him, I said, well, how much did you think about this lunch date with me? Yeah? To break this news to me. Yeah? And how much now that when you go to lunch or dinner, do you think about, should I, shouldn't I have a drink? You know what you fucking lost is your peace of mind. And you don't even see the value in that. Now, now the, that the absence is gone, choice seems to have arisen again. Drinking, not drinking. And you know what? It just goes freaking off, doesn't it? That's why it's abstinence. It's as if it's never existed. It's done. No thought. It's like, I don't, I never even think about this shit anymore. And that's the only way it can be freedom for me. If I thought I could, oh, let's just a little, on a Friday, I'm going to a reggae show or something, you know? It would, the Pandora box would fucking fly open, you know? Like that. It's insanity. So people, and the thing is, it's, in a sense, he was thinking he was successful, but the peace of mind was gone. And as soon as the peace of mind is gone, the petri dish of selfing is there. And it's going to start cooking up a hundred forms of fear and anxiety, and it's going to drive you to fucking do what? Drink. That's its fuel. The alcoholism cannot pick up the beer. It doesn't have an arm. It doesn't have a hand. It doesn't have a mouth. It has to have the host get its fuel. That's why it jacks into the thought system. It convinces you against all evidence that it's a damn good idea to get high. <laughs> it can't go shopping. Yeah? It needs, wants the alcohol, it wants the drugs, because that's its fuel. But it can't buy it. It has to jack into the thought system, 
yeah, and interpret feelings and make it into a big story to convince you to do an incredibly insane thing over and over and over again. We don't seem to have an immunity to it. There is a solution, you know. How do I know? I've been experiencing it. This the sense of of uh, you know the irritability, restlessness, and discontent has been flipped over to somewhat pretty good ease and comfort most of the time. Yeah, that's the norm now, and it's stabilized for years. What more proof and what more pudding do you need? Jeez, like Jesus says, you'll know the tree by its fruits. You can't see the tree, but if when you see the demonstrations, when you get the results, follow it back to where it came from. And what the the most natural thing to do is honor it and be grateful for it and pass it on, because that's how it keeps going. You know, you you can only have this by giving it away. You can't you can't capture it. You can't put it on a spiritual mantelpiece and say, oh, I shot this thing years ago. Look at it. No, it's a living solution. A living one. If you're not in it, you're, not, you're out of it. Well, I hope you come back tomorrow. We'll go, you know, I'm getting feisty now. So we all revitalized again. I love it. I haven't lost, you know, the word, the definition for uh, spirit, enthusiasm, means to be infused with spirit, you know, the Greek and the Latin. And I think that's what happens, you know. You're enthusiastic because you're infused with spirit. The spirit, you know. For me, it's like a, a hose and the water comes in, yeah. And the water has no intention to clean the hose, but while it's moving through it, it cleans the hose. The water just wants to extend, just wants to come out. But while it's doing that, because it's so incredibly benevolent in a way, it cleans the hose it's moving through. If you choose to be the hose, that water is going to come through. If you choose to put yourself in a position of service, you'll be used. Yeah? It's, not, it's not like the message is more important than the messengers. Sobriety establishing in this freaking place is more important than you and me. Yeah? And it wasn't available until 1935. And there's tons of grace in this program. Is that that? That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Can I be let go now?